So Jesus makes seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. And before you get nervous, we're not going to do all seven. And their focus is on what happens after we become believers. So each time Jesus makes one of these statements, Jesus is both claiming to be God and explaining why it would be wise for the crowds, because he's surrounded by lots of people, to treat him as such. So over the next five weeks, we're going to cover five of the seven. Today we're going to talk about his statement, I am the bread of life. Only Jesus can satisfy the needs of the human heart. In week two, we're going to talk about I am the light of the world. And life is only found in the light. Number three is, I am the gate. Access to God is found only through Jesus. Then it'll be, I am the good shepherd. And then we need to trust the good shepherd. And then week five, on Easter, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus conquered death to bring us life. Today we're going to cover the first statement found in John chapter 6. Go ahead and turn to John chapter 6 with me. And I'm going to start out with a confession. Now that I've got your attention, one of my chief nemeses, my nemesis, used to be Ben and Jerry's Coffee Heat Bar Crunch. Now, can you just picture that? It was my nemesis. And, and you know, the, the kind they have now, it's not the same. They don't use Heat Bar. It's just coffee and um, toffee crunch. And it's not the same. But back in the old days, Coffee Heat Bar Crunch was my favorite. And I knew that once I began craving a pint, because they come in pints, it's a lot of ice cream to eat in one sitting, but I was up to the challenge. I knew that I was going to have to have one within 48 hours. I knew it. So I would start planning my trip, usually to Walmart, to the freezer section, to get my pint of sin. But sadly, after consuming the whole pint in one sitting, like I said, it's tough to do, but I, I could do it. And when my, my wife would ask for a bite, you can ask her what my response was. It was less than charitable. I would eat the whole thing by myself in one sitting, but I would often find myself feeling bloated. Well, that's a bad word. <laughs> bloated and uncomfortable. But you know, I get it. I get it. When you've put in a full work week meeting the needs of your company, when you have labored to satisfy the needs and wants of your children and your spouse, which can be hard to do, right? When you've been over backwards to satisfy your relatives, your in-laws. When you've done the yard work, washed the clothes, cooked the meals, and fed the cats. It's time for some R&R. &R. But if we look to the wrong things to satisfy us, we can end up feeling a little bit like I did after an ice cream binge. The pleasure was short-lived. And I'll be a little worse for wear in the morning, which I always was. Just felt uncomfortable the next day. In life, we hunger for things that we believe will satisfy us. And we'll gladly trade all of our resources to obtain these things. But Jesus clearly teaches us that if we seek him first, we seek Jesus first, not only will he provide for our retirement one day, like we sang about this morning, but all the other things that we need will be added to us as well. Today we're going to study a passage of scripture where Jesus is trying to encourage people whose focus is firmly in the present. It's all about this life to consider thinking on a higher plane. But let me set us up with a few verses 
that lead up to this section. John chapter 6 verse 2 says a great crowd followed Jesus because they saw the signs that he had performed. So they weren't coming to Jesus to learn. They weren't coming to Jesus to understand. They were just wowed by the miracles. They were following the show. Verse 15 of chapter 6, it says, Jesus, knowing that they intended to make him king by force, withdrew. So here's another thing that thickens the plot. There were people that had an agenda. They wanted to expel the Romans, and they thought that Jesus was going to be their military leader. So there was a crowd around him, and they wanted to make him king by force. And so Jesus withdrew. And then verses 26 and 27, he says, You are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. He had just fed the 5,000. And they'd got their bellies full. And they were looking for another miracle. What they were really looking for was their next meal. So Jesus says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. So if you can picture this, there's a crowd of people around Jesus. And once again, it's a mixed bag. There's people there who are truly seeking they believe in Jesus, and there are other people that are just there for the grub. Huh? So Jesus has two goals at this point when he's making these statements. Number one is to point people to eternal things rather than temporal things. They're just thinking about the now. He wants them to think about the future. And then number two, he's trying to thin out the crowd a little bit because it's a little bit dangerous. These people are kind of stirred up, and they're wanting to grab it and install him as king and begin rebelling against the Romans. So Jesus wants to thin out the crowd a bit because there are people there with a competing agenda. So let's read this section in its entirety, and then we'll break it down into a few points. Chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never that's an incredible promise, right? But what does it mean? And do you think the people at that time figured it out? I mean, they were there for, for more bread. So this probably just went a little bit over their head. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. So he's calling them out. You see me, but you don't believe. But all that the Father does give me, all the ones that he's called, he, that he gives will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven. And immediately after this section, that causes some controversy. Jesus is telling them, I'm not just a teacher. I'm not just a prophet. I came down from heaven. Not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. That of all he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. So he's trying to stimulate their thinking to a higher plane. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. So what does he mean, the bread of life? What do you think about, what do I think about when we think about bread? We think about food. And we love food, don't we? But Jesus is trying to get them to think about something different, something more important. So firstly, this morning, we see that as the bread of life, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. He says in verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. So Jesus was convinced that each believer had been entrusted to him by God the Father to care for. Colossians 1.12 says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And we thank God for the gift of children, right? Are you thankful for your kids? Amen. 
better be because they're in the room with you right now. I'm grateful for my kids. But once they're born, it's tempting to believe that they are from God, but they're for us. They're from God, but they're for us. And this reminds me of the story of Samuel in the Old Testament. Remember Hannah? She was unable to bear children. And she was crying out to God to enable her to have a son. And so to sweeten the deal, she said, if you'll give me a son, God, I will dedicate him to you. He will not just be from you, but he'll be for you. And so God blessed her, and she followed through on her promise. But I think that's the way that we all should view children. That they're, they're not from God, but for us. They're from God, and they're for God. And our responsibility is like that of Hannah. Samuel was from God and for God. You know, in the, in the country of China where we live for seven and a half years, they do not have social security. So when it, it's retirement time, there's not really a pension plan in place. And they actually naturally view their one child, because they only get one, although that's changing now, as their social security plan. They literally treat this one child as their most critical investment in life. I mean, they want that child to do really well in school. They want that child to get a good job. They want that child to get a nice house because they plan on moving in. <laughs> we don't do that here. And they're not shy about soliciting favors from the child who owes them. And they'll say that. You owe me. I raised you. I provided for you. And so their attitude is, hey, the child came from me. Literally. And so the child is for me. But we would be wise to view people that we are responsible for as both Jesus and Hannah did. You know, as his agent, I am responsible to care for God's valuables as he would. He has entrusted them to me for a season and for a reason. That's true whether it's children, whether it's church members, whether it's friends and relationships that God has entrusted to you for a season. And he's entrusted to you for a reason. He wants us to encourage them to be devoted to their heavenly. So we would be wise to view it that way. So Jesus says, all the Father gives me. Again, verse 37, he says, the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. So he says, I will not cast them out. I'm not going to give up on them. Once they've been given to me, I'm going to take this responsibility very seriously. I'm not going to cast them out and give up on them. And we're glad to hear this. And it comforts us in regards to the future. But let's be honest, our problem with this is that I want Jesus to save me now. But he's more concerned with forever. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that's a very famous passage that we're all familiar with. But what kind of rest is Jesus talking about? He's talking about the kind of rest that comes when you climb the tree and see things as God sees them. You know, there's a, a famous analogy that you've got a, a person going through a journey in the forest and you've got um, the, the managers, you know, managing the frontline workers who are chopping down trees and they're clearing out the underbrush and they're making lots and lots of progress and they're tearing a path through the jungle. And then finally, the leader shows up and he climbs the tree and he looks out over the landscape and he says, wrong jungle. <laughs> Is that the way we get in life? Sometimes we get so focused and we miss the forest for the trees. So when we 
come to God for rest. And we climb the tree and we see things as God sees them. And when we do, we begin to echo the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, that these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Because when we're in the moment, our troubles, they don't seem light. They don't seem momentary. They're heavy. But if we can see things from God's perspective, then we'll begin to understand from his view. But you and I, we want, I want rest now. Not then. I want God to fix my marriage. I want God to keep my wayward children from harm. I want God to preserve my job and give me a raise, please. Huh? I want God to get me out of debt. I want God to send Mr. or Mrs. Wright into my path. In other words, I want Jesus to come down where I am. I don't want to elevate my thinking and go up where he is. Isn't this what we do? We say, Lord, Jesus, I love you. I came to church. I read my Bible. I need you to come down here where I am and fix things and help me and bless me and lead me and open doors. And Jesus is up there saying, no, no, I want you to come up where I am. I want you to see things from my perspective. And then you'll see that the rest that I'm offering, it's everlasting. But again, Jesus is much less concerned with the temporal than the eternal. Let me put it another way. When addressing a problem, which consequences are the priority? The short-term consequences or the long-term ones? What do you think? Judge, when you're presiding over a case and there's a problem in front of you, are you focused on the short-term or the long-term for the person? Long-term. Why is that? So if a child doesn't do their homework, what should the teacher's response be? You know, one of my kids are young, and we watched a little funny video, and uh, the parents come in, and uh, the children have not cleaned the room, they've not done their chores, and uh, the, the parent's about to drop the hammer, and then the child says, but what about Grace? 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 And the parent says, oh, okay, that's all right, no problem, we'll let it go this time. Well, they come back again, and the child has not done their chores again, and they're in trouble again. And the parent is about to drop the hammer, and the child says, grace? And the parent says, we're fresh out. <laughs> but isn't that, isn't that the way that it is? So if a child doesn't do their homework, giving the child a makeup assignment would soften the blow, but it would threaten the future. So Jesus wants us to take... The long view. We're primarily concerned with the present, and our posture is, Jesus, I need you to come where I am. But Jesus wants us to take the long view. You know, one reason American companies struggle to compete with Asian companies is because American companies are focused, primarily concerned with what? Take a guess. Short term, right? Quarterly profits. Why is that? Because the CEO knows, I need to make a bunch of money. So I can retire and write a book, right? They're focused on short term. But Asian companies, they're thinking 50, 100, even 150 years into the future. And so it's difficult for American companies to compete. So 
So not only does Jesus want to save us from eternal separation from God, he also wants to save us from a limiting perspective that dooms us to seeking ultimate satisfaction in this life. And this brings us to our second point. So not only does Jesus save, but Jesus satisfies. Verse 35. He says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But you and I, we look for satisfaction in all the wrong places, don't we? Anybody ever done that? Gone looking for satisfaction in the wrong place? Show of hands. I've got one, two, three, four. Okay, got a few honest folks. The rest of you, you can determine what that means. On Christmas Eve, I went to Big Lots for groceries about 9 p.m. with my son. This is a bad idea. Can you imagine why? Christmas Eve, are all the stores open or closed? So who's out on Christmas Eve late in the night? Is it the kind of folks that you want to rub shoulders with? No. Let me just tell you. So I go to Big Lots with Caleb, and we walk in, and we're just looking around, and there's a lot of people just milling about, not really buying anything. Looks like they're waiting for something, honestly. Maybe waiting for an opportunity to run out the door with something. And so we, we, didn't, we didn't purchase anything. And so we were looking to purchase things, but we went to the wrong place, and it was the wrong time. But aren't we the same way? I mean, we go looking for love in a club. Is that a good place to meet somebody? We go looking for security in a lottery ticket. We go looking for peace in a bottle. We go looking for relief from a pill. We go looking for happiness from a person or from a substance. But Jesus alone can satisfy our hearts. John 7, 38 says, He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So Jesus, only Jesus can satisfy our hearts. And like we've said in the book of Ecclesiastes, if you're pursuing and chasing after satisfaction in this life, it's like chasing the wind. And you, gra you grab for it, you grasp for it, and you clutch it, and you give up everything you have to get it, and then you open your hands. <coughs> no. Only Jesus can satisfy our hearts. And the cool thing is, is he says if we seek him first, if we put Jesus first, if we seek him first, he'll provide for our other needs as well. But we get it back. John 1.10 says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. But it's not a life that's just focused on the now. It's a life where you're seeing things from his perspective and taking the law. You know, Matthew 6.33 says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Now focusing on all these things. What is he talking about? Food, clothing, shelter. The necessities, what we need to get through life. And this is where you and I get tripped up. Because we want to pursue all these things first. And then we'll give Jesus whatever is left over. Huh? Whatever money I have left over. Whatever time I have left over. Whatever energy I have left over, I'll give it to Jesus. You know, whatever's left over. Don't you love to daydream about how generous you would be if you were rich? you imagine how generous you would be, wouldn't you? You'd be amazing. You'd be walking around with pockets full of cash. You see a need, you see an opportunity, you just kind of deal it out. That's the way that we think. In other words, if I had all I could ever need and all I could ever want, then I would be unbelievably generous. 
kind of out of order, aren't we? Is it possible that our focus on pursuing all these things may be preventing us from experiencing material blessing? I mean, if we're so focused on pursuing all these things and getting all that we want and need, doesn't it make sense that if our priorities are in order, then it's much easier for God to bless us? I mean, if we're looking for satisfaction elsewhere, what are we going to do with anything extra? I mean, if we're already spending everything we have on ourselves and God gives us extra, what are we going to do with it? We're going to upgrade, right? We love that in our culture. And, it, and it's a smart decision. You know, going to upgrade that phone. Going to upgrade that car. Going to upgrade my wardrobe. Going to upgrade. That's what I'm going to do. But if we're seeking Christ first, not only will he save and satisfy, but he'll provide all these things if we seek him first. So Jesus saves, Jesus satisfies, and then lastly, Jesus secures. Verse 40 says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. You know, our standing is secure. Why is, why is our standing secure? How, how, how can you know? How can Bruce know where he's going after he dies? Because it doesn't depend on Bruce. And how can I know where I'm going after I die? It's because it doesn't depend on me. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin. And death. In other words, it doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend on me. It depends on him. Also, our future is secure because the gift is free. Romans 6, 22 and 23 says, But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise God. You know, with the future in view, we have the perspective we need to accurately size up the present. You know, Stephen Covey's famous book, one of his principles of the seven habits of highly effective people is to begin with the end in mind. So if you and I will take the long view, if we'll accept Jesus' invitation to come up where he is so we can see things as he does, then we'll make decisions that will bring about the results that we ourselves desire. So Jesus saves, Jesus satisfies, and Jesus secures. And the bottom line today is that Jesus is the answer to the needs of the human heart. Jesus is the answer. Wherever else you're looking, wherever else I'm looking for satisfaction, I'm not going to find it. Jesus is the answer to the needs of the human heart. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And when you and I ask the question, how can I get my needs met? You know what? My heart aches. I feel empty. I feel unfulfilled. I feel without purpose. And we all have our moments like that. And any number of things brings it about. Life is a long journey. And there's peaks and there's valleys. And maybe you're in a valley right now. So we say, what is the answer to the needs of my heart? Jesus says, I. Who Jesus is satisfies all that I need. Not what you think you need. 
And what do you think you need? I need a new car. I need a companion. I need a vacation. I need to win the lottery. But he gives us what we truly need both now and forever. And what you and I need most is we need a truthful perspective. We need to see things the way that God sees them. We need to value what God values. And Jesus is offering his view to you today. So here's three simple steps. Number one, look to Jesus. If you're looking for answers, if you're looking for satisfaction, if you're looking for direction or guidance, look to Jesus. And then secondly, rise above. Because what we're tempted to do is just be focused on what's right in front of us. And he's saying, come up here with me. The air is clear. The perspective is helpful. Because when you and I are stuck, and we all get stuck, we need to rise above our circumstances, accept Jesus' invitation, and see things from his perspective. And then if you're willing to do that, if you take his hand, instead of doing this and begging for Christ to come down where you are and fix your problems, if you'll accept his invitation to come up where he is, and see things as he does, then you're going to enjoy the view. Because if you could, and I can only see what Jesus sees, we would do as he expects in regards to people, in regards to life, work, family, possessions. Jesus is the answer to the needs of the human heart. Amen. Will you accept that today? God, thank you so much for this opportunity and thank you Jesus that you are the answer you are the only thing that we look to uh, for, for satisfaction God and it's so easy to follow um, after things and to chase after possessions and to chase after career success and to chase after wealth and and pleasure God and, but none of those things satisfy they leave us feeling empty they leave us feeling cheated and tricked so God I just pray that today for myself and for my friends here that we would accept your invitation to look to you, to, to be invited by you, to rise above our circumstances, and to see things the way that you would see them so that we'll do as you have called us to do. It's in Jesus' name I pray.